We're going to read here out of Mark chapter 6 towards the end how Jesus took his disciples away and they got together and had a retreat. So we took a playbook out of the Lord's uh, discipleship plan. And, and so as we said last week, our, deci- our pastors, our pastors got together and we had a great time. And the time was primarily time to affirm one another, encourage one another. We did pray and talk through some business things, particularly the leadership committee and things like that. But the Lord was gracious. He met us there. He, he encouraged us at that time. And the affection for Him and for one another grew during that time. So it was a very fruitful time. So thank you, church, for allowing us to go and um, care for one another in that way. But we'll be at Mark chapter 6 this morning. This is an incredible portion of Scripture. This portion of Scripture is going to inspire you. This portion of Scripture is going to give you a picture of what godliness looks like. And so Mark chapter 6, verse 14 to, uh, through 32. And if you have your Bibles, please turn there. I'll be preaching under the Legacy Standard Bible today. And if this is an interesting portion of Scripture because... This is what you, what theologians call a Mark sandwich. That's right, sandwich, like Subway. Mark sandwich, where one end of the bookend is where the Lord sends out the twelve, and the other bookend is where He gathers the twelve. And interesting enough, in the middle, the meat of it is an account of remembrance of John the Baptist. So one may think, huh, that's kind of odd. That's kind of perhaps seems a little bit out of place. But as you know, the Lord does nothing without purpose. So this is a purposeful placing of having John the Baptist remembering his life and death right in between these two events. Okay, so let's rise and let's read Mark chapter 6, 14 to 32 together. I'll be reading from verse 14. And King Herod heard it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now Herodias was holding a grudge against him and was wanting to put him to death and was not able For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he was keeping him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. And a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his great men and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced... She pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oath, 
And because of his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went out and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard this, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this portion that focuses on John the Baptist. Help us to learn what you have for us in this portion. Help us to get our eyes heavenward towards you, Lord Jesus. I pray your spirit will give us hearts to hear from you so that we will treasure you, treasure heaven more. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Why, oh why, is John the Baptist right here in the middle of this portion of Scripture, Holy Scripture? Well, what comes to mind is a funeral. Yesterday I had the privilege of going to a funeral for one of my coaches that I played for under when I was at, in college at the University of Southern California. Charles White passed away, died in January. We, we had his funeral yesterday, and I brought some of my children with me. And one of it was to honor Coach White. Another reason was to learn more about how certain men, certain great men have thought and to kind of help them to understand. I mean, Charles White was perhaps one of the greatest athletes to ever come through our campus. I wanted them to see and hear what made him tick, what motivated him, what, 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 what did it take to be at that level? And um, I was grateful. And I think this is why... There's a memorial for John the Baptist here right in the middle of the apostles being sent out and the apostles gathering together. Because I believe the Lord wanted to revisit John the Baptist's death to teach his disciples, to teach us what the greatest born of a woman looks like. What discipleship is all about. So we only have two points here and then some encouragements at the end. Three encouragements at the end. Two points one is that we remember John the Baptist to see the conviction of a disciple, the conviction of a disciple. We also remember John the Baptist to see the cost of a disciple, the cost of a disciple. So let's get to the first portion here. We, we remember John the Baptist to see the conviction of a disciple. Well, this is going to cover verse 14 to 20. Conviction. What is Conviction. You think of conviction, we hear that word thrown out a lot. This man or woman has conviction. In other words, how we would like to define conviction is this, to be owned by a strong belief or persuasion. Something that you believe owns you, it controls you. Another way to put it is to be convinced of something. I'm absolutely convinced this is what is important. Therefore, that controls me, that guides me, this shapes my thoughts, my attitudes, this shapes how I spend my money, uh, so forth and so on, spend my time, as Pastor Jeremy talked about. What's important to you is what you're going to invest into. And this is John the Baptist. He was a man of great conviction, perhaps. This is why the Lord called him the greatest born of a woman. He served, he gave up his life. 
And you don't do this. You don't give yourself up unless you believe in something greater than yourself. And then what did John the Baptist believe? Well, let me just take a moment to read Mark chapter 1 here, a few verses, 2 to 4. And I believe John the Baptist understood and knew Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40, as Brother Jerry read, that this talked about him. And let me read this portion for us. At his, at, at, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I, I send my messenger ahead of you, John the Baptist, who will prepare your way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist knew exactly who he was. John the Baptist knew exactly why he was born. John the Baptist knew exactly the type of message he needs to send forth to the people of Israel. There's no confusion in this man's life. There's no gray. It's black and white. I know I exist, and I know what's worth dying for. And this is conviction. And John the Baptist understood this. And as he would, looking backwards, he's already died. He already has his head cut off by Herod. Jesus, in the Spirit of God, has this portion right here for us to think about. And this is a flashback. This is a memorial of John the Baptist. And Herod gets word that Jesus, somebody is, and, and his 12 are preaching. They're preaching repentance. They're performing miracles. And everyone's spooked in his palace. They're saying, who is it? Is, is it John the Baptist? Others are saying, no, no, that's Elijah. Elijah's coming back with, with miracles and power. Or it's a prophet of the old, perhaps. But Herod knew because his, his conscience was absolutely haunted by what he did. He killed John the Baptist, the greatest born of a woman. And Herod knew this, that John the Baptist preached repentance. And what, were, what was Jesus and the disciples preaching? Well, Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15 says, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Preaching the same message. Therefore, Herod must have been pricked as they, what, is, what are they talking about? They're talking about repentance, Herod. He must have felt something just stab him right in the heart, knowing he did what was wrong. And he was absolutely haunted by this. Who is King Herod? King Herod is not really a king. King Herod is, called himself King Herod. People called him king, but he actually didn't have a kingdom. When he promises to give half of his kingdom, he doesn't have that authority to do that. Just all words. King Herod was part of the Herodian family. This is a very confusing thing. There's a lot of people named Herod in the New Testament. This is not Herod the Great who ordered the execution of all the babies when Jesus was born. This is not him. This is his son, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was just a governor of, of a certain region, the area of Galilee. And this is who Herod was. He, he understood that this is similar to what I used to hear John the Baptist preach to me. That's what's being preached all throughout Galilee. And, and you got to imagine this. Jesus was one, now multiplied by 12. This, this is the, the message is getting out like wildfire at this point. Verse 16, look what he says. John, whom I beheaded, has risen, risen back to come haunt me. I mean... 
Herod is just lighting up right now. He is lighting up like the sun right now. His conscience is burning within him. The question is, why was John the Baptist murdered? Why was he executed? One name. One name. Herodias. One name. Herodias is the reason. One name. And who is Herodias? Verse 17 says, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias. Herodias. Who is Herodias? Well, comma, the wife of his brother Philip, comma, because he had married her. This is a very interesting family. The Herods are very interesting. None of us would be proud to have this type of lineage. Let me just explain a little bit here. With my hands, watch my hands here. King Herod the Great is the father. Herod the Great had some sons. One of them was Herod Antipas. Another son was Philip. Okay, and he had another son who had a daughter whose name is Herodias. What does, Her- what does that make Herodias to Philip and, and Antipas? Their niece. Their niece. Philip marries Herodias, his niece. King Herod Antipas travels through uh, Philip's uh, kingdom and lays eyes on Herodias, divorces his wife, and entices her, his niece to marry him and to leave his brother and to marry him. This is a, a crazy situation. Hopefully you follow that, what I just tried to explain. Okay? So this is a public scandal in every which way to look at it. Everybody knew this. I mean, this is, this is unacceptable. And, 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 and John the Baptist knew this. This is a very public thing. that so you, Herod, need to repent. This is unlawful to have your brother's wife. I mean, this is a layup. This is a no-brainer. Even a non-believer can understand this is wrong. Even non-believers will blush here in this account, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. But Herod was living in outright immorality, outright sin. John the Baptist preaches the word to him. And this is a man of conviction because you may be thinking, I don't know if I want to go up against the king of Galilee. I mean, how's this going to help my ministry? Is this going to gain more friends? Is this going to gain some, or lose some prominent partners? I mean, can we get some funding from the king perhaps? I mean, John the Baptist could have been thinking those things, but I don't think so. If it did, it was just a temptation from the enemy. It was to fall right on the ground. John the Baptist was bent on preaching the gospel to Herod. You need to repent, Herod, just like I've told the beggar down the street. You need to repent. But conviction has a price. We understand this. In verse 19, just like we would think, he would create enemies, create powerful enemies by being faithful. This is what it's been like in church history, hasn't it? When men and women have gone against powerful popes and kings, oftentimes they've paid with their, with their life. This is no different here where Herod is inflamed here. His conscience is burning up here. But Herodias, verse 19, now Herodias was holding a grudge against him and was wanting to put him to death. Herod, you better kill that man. Herod, don't you let that man step into our palace again. Herod, you kill that man. You're supposed to be the man. He's talking down to you. He's making us look bad. You have him killed. But it says this, but he was not able. Why? 
Well, verse 20, for Herod was afraid of John. He respected John. Herod may have wanted to, but he couldn't because he respected John and was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. In Matthew, it says that the people thought he was a prophet. And they were right. John the Baptist was a prophet. Herod couldn't do it. Herod couldn't do it because he feared that the people might uprise against him. I mean, you got to understand, Herod and John the Baptist are like polar opposites, black and white. I mean, they're opposites. God presents us two examples. John the Baptist, Herod Antipas. Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, he was keeping him safe. And when he heard him, when he heard him, he was very perplexed. When he heard him, not the one time, when he heard him, in, in, in verse 19 or verse 18, it says, For John had been saying to Herod, and this implies that he, this is a repeated conversation. This is a repeated sermon that John was preaching to King Herod. I mean, Herod knew. Even the most vile and most corrupt people in the world know the truth. They, he knew. And he was perplexed. In other words, there's a tug of war going on in his heart. What's right and what's wrong? What's right and wrong? What's right and wrong? I mean, his heart was being torn apart. There was that tug of war going on. That's what it means. He was perplexed. He says, but he used to enjoy listening to him. Tell me an interesting thing. He liked feeling oh, so convicting. And go back to Herodias. So convicting. What a convicting sermon. Go back to watching whatever you watch. So convicting, right? I mean, this is this is Herod. This was Herod. But Herod respected John the Baptist. He knew he was a man's man. He was a real man. John the Baptist walked the talk. I mean, whatever he preached, whatever he said, he lived it out. And he knew it took some guts to go to the king of Galilee and say, you need to repent. I mean, he, John the Baptist owned his respect. There's no doubt about that. But it would be very normal to compromise, don't you think? I mean, in some ways, this sounds like an extraordinary thing that John the Baptist does. I mean, I think we've been trained as people to be experts at saying the right thing. Right? I mean, this is like, I don't want to be offensive. I, we've been trained to be politically correct. I need to say the right thing. I might make, upset my classmate. I might upset my followers on social media. I might upset my teacher, my coach, my boss. I mean, think about it. You can rationalize this till the cows come home. You can say, well, she is the boss, and, you know, she could fire me. <laughs> True. He's the coach. He probably won't blaze me as much, maybe, if he's not serious about winning. <laughs> if you want to win, you play him, right? Or you may be thinking, she's so popular that if I, if I even broach this topic, I'll be ghosted. No one's going to want to talk to me anymore. Potential things. I mean, John the Baptist was killed. Definitely these things could happen. But we need to have the same conviction that John the Baptist had. What is that conviction? That we're here to point people to Jesus Christ. That we're here to 
give people the good news of Christ. And that requires repenting of your sins and giving your life to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We are equipped with the gospel. We need to have that conviction that we have the most powerful message of all. We have something better than silver and gold. We have better, something better than popularity. We have the gospel message. I want to give you as an illustration, perhaps you've heard this, but I, this came to mind. A statement by an atheist, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller. You know, these are the... Uh, entertainers, you know, the magicians. And, and if you heard this, let this be another reminder. But this is what he said. This is an atheist. And this is his response when somebody came to him after a show and lovingly, he said, this man was so loving, he gave me a Bible and, and, and encouraged me to give my life to Christ. And this is what he said. This is, he was so moved by it. By, it was amazing to see this, but he says this. Penn Jillette says this. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. That's what he said. Awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? That means evangelize them. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that a truck was coming at you, this is his word still, and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you, right? Because that's his moral obligation to stop you from getting into the street because he knows that destruction's coming. And this is more important that, than that. What a remarkable statement, right? I mean, if it's truly, there's some truth and wisdom spoken here where if we actually have that conviction that the message of the gospel saves people from eternal hell, but we're more worried about being socially awkward or kind of coming off a certain way, what in the world is he saying? That's hatred. That's how he considers it. So, church... Who comes to mind in your life? Who, who are the Herods in your life that you need to share Christ with? Who are just living in outright blatant sin? It could even be a professing Christian. Who do you need to talk to about Christ? Remember, repentance is good news because you could turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Make sure you give them the good news in it, the hope in it. But who comes to mind? Certainly somebody comes to mind. I want... I, I'd like you to do something right now. I'd like you to either type it into your phone, write it into your notebook. Remember this name just so when you come across it, oh yeah, that's what the pastor said. We need to talk to people about Christ. I mean, this is what conviction is about. If you believe this, you actually believe that the gospel message saves, give them Christ. And I'm grateful because I know there's men and women here. I've talked to multiple people who are trying to navigate in very difficult situations. I get it. I, I, I lived in football for a while, and I think football was rather easy to share the gospel and to point people to Christ. One, I think people came from quasi-Christian backgrounds. And two, it's a dangerous sport, so people are open to something greater than themselves. Your industry may not be like that. You need to be wise. 
as serpents, right? Gentle as doves. Yet, you need to be moving in that direction, though. So this is an important thing. You may be a school teacher in, the, in, the, in, in a completely liberal and bankrupt school systems. I get that. But pray. Pray for the strongest of convictions so that you will be obedient. Because you love them and you love the Lord. This is the best thing that you could do for them. This is not just saying, check, I did something. This is because you love them, as Penn Jillette would perhaps say. Let's move on to the next portion here. We, we remember John the Baptist to see the cost of a disciple. The cost of a disciple. Verse 21 says this, And a strategic, strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet. There was a birthday party. Herod Antipas was going to throw himself a big birthday party. And why was this a strategic day? Or maybe I should ask, who was it a strategic day for? You know it. Herodias. Herodias. Herodias knew that there would be a lot of drinking going on. Herodias knew that Herod arrogantly would invite the most prominent people to the palace. Of course you want big time people to show up at your party, right? Of course she knew that Herod would be drunk by the time her she sends in the bait. Of course she knew that Herod is a lustful man. There's a reason why Herodias became his wife. He knows, she, she knows this. And she knows that Herod Antipas is a prideful man. This is a perfect, perfect scenario to spring the trap on her own husband. In those times, let me read verse 22. And when the daughter Herodias herself came in, this was in her, Herodias' uh, daughter's idea. This is Herodias's idea. Now go in there. Salome is her name. Salome. Salome was a teenage daughter sent in by her own mother, 14 years old perhaps, something like that. Young. He says, go and dance. And she and danced. She pleased Herod and his dinner guests. This was not ballet, nor some kind of a cultural uh, dance that she did. This is an erotic, suggestive dance. This is something to incite the lust within Herod. This is an inappropriate dance that a mother would tell her daughter to go do to her fa- stepfather, of all people, and so Herodias springs the bait full of wine and lust. He takes it. He takes the bait. He takes all of it. Surrounded by his big-time entourage, he makes some arrogant claims. He, he, he's like putty in her hands. And how does a grown man, a powerful man, become potty in, in the hands of some teenager? What well, happened? And it happens all the time. She was reduced to, to, he was reduced to a loaf of bread, as Proverbs says. Sadly, this is a story of many prominent men in history. Sadly. Sadly. And you think, this is crazy. What? <laughs> really? Men, guard your eyes and hearts. Brothers, guard your eyes and your heart. This is, a, this is the ba- battlefield here, gentlemen. You're going to be reduced to a loaf of bread. This is exactly how it happens. Guard your eyes, guard your hearts. 
guard your mind. Keep fighting the temptations. Feed your mind with truth. Feed your mind with beautiful things of God. Well, Herod (laughs) was wide open. His gates were wide open. This is a a tank could run right through his gates here. All right, Herodias knew this. And what happens? Verse 22, the end. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Verse 23, and he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you. Up to half of my kingdom, which was a hyperbolic statement. Of course, he couldn't even give any part of the kingdom away because it didn't belong to him. And then where does Salome go? She goes right to Mama. Mama says, I want John the Baptist head on a platter. Go. Immediately, verse 25, she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once. You see where the power? He just lost all of his power. At once, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. He wanted power, but he gave it all up. She was in control, not him. Sad sight here. Right when he hears that, you know he sobers up immediately. Have you been in that moment, whether you're either angry or just in seeing a different mind, all of a sudden you sober up? Well, he sobered up real quick right then and there. As reality sets it, he knows he's been duped. He knows he's been tricked. He sees Herodias' face in his eyes right now like, she got me. She got me. She got me. She knows me. Look at verse 26. This is a sad, sad verse right here. This is the verse that we all want to avoid, like the plague here. Okay, verse 26. And although the king was very sorry, I mean, let's just... Perilipso, this word perilipso is only used twice in the book of Mark. One time right here, and one time when the Lord was in great distress in the garden. I mean, he was, this was a big turmoil in in Herod's heart right now. (laughs) Have you felt that way before? Where your conscience is so gripped, like, I have to do this for the public, but deep inside, I cannot do this. I know I'm sinning. I know I'm doing the wrong thing. I mean, perhaps not like this, but you've been in that situation, I'm sure. And your conscience is, is, is burning up like, the, like a fire, smoke alarm. It's just going off in your head and your head. He was deeply grieved. Very sorry. Although he was very sorry, what did he do? Yet, because of his oath, his prideful oaths, and because of his dinner guests, he did not refuse her. Her meaning Salome, but really Herodias. He knew, he knew she was just an extension of her mom. And his conscience was being shredded apart, you know, like, like pulled pork. It's being torn apart. His conscience is not intact anymore. He just dare, like, okay, you got me. Herod knew that John the Baptist is a righteous and holy man. I mean, he knew this wasn't right. Think about the greatest man or woman that you know in your life or known in your life. I mean, that's John the Baptist, maybe even greater, John the Baptist, the greatest born of a woman. And think about sending his or her death sentence when he or she doesn't deserve it. This is what's happening here. I mean, I mean, Herod is a pretender. He's a poser. He, he's just all smokes and mirrors. He's all show. He's a tough-talking pseudo-king. He just just wants to be liked. He can't disappoint his wife.
He had conviction. You may think, well, John the Baptist had conviction. He didn't have, no, he had conviction. It's just for the wrong things. He had conviction to protect his lust and his pseudo power, his appearance of power. That's what he, his convictions were over. And he does exactly what it takes to protect his lust, to keep his wife there, his illegitimate wife there, and to keep any semblance of power before the influential people of Israel. That's what he was doing. I mean, I'm, think, I'm thinking Jesus was thinking of people like Herod when he says, what does it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? <laughs> Herod will sell his soul for a cheap price. He held on to his wife, Herodias. He, it's illegitimate. He held on to his hollow reputation. That was fake. He held on to his pretend power. None of it was real. It was like an illusion for him, but he's holding on to these things. Herod may have kept his face, but he's lost his soul in hell forever. Do you exchange other things for heaven? I mean, interesting enough, in the end, his lust will catch up to him. The armies will come against him and banish Herod. Rome will come against him, banish Herod Antipas, and he had to leave this kingdom, and, and his wife followed him. <laughs> what he was fighting to keep, he will lose in the end anyway. I mean, there is a cost for disciples. I mean, this is the issue here. This is the point. There is a cost for disciples. John the Baptist lost his head, but he gained eternal glory. Right? He lost his head. I mean, he paid the ultimate price that you could pay on this side of eternity, but he got eternal glory. Herod, all he had to do was give up some trinkets, and he would have had that eternal glory. So that little application before we get to the encouragements at the end. Herod sold his soul for some trinkets, and he would not be fit at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. If you found out any of us uh, stole your brother's wife, you'd be like, huh, okay, we're going to have to talk to him. If you found out that any of us married the niece, there, you will stick out like a sore thumb, okay? So Herod would not necessarily fit in, but there's other things that we perhaps would find acceptable. At Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley, Is your family a Herodias in your life? Or parents, you do anything you can for your children. Parents, you compromise yourselves to please your teenage daughter or son. Parents, you want to maintain peace, so you go along with it, whatever it takes. And teenagers, you know you're giving your parents a hard time at times. You know this. I've been to one. That's why, because I know. I'm speaking from my own experience. Do you compromise the value of the Lord's Day for academics or sports? You may say Jesus is number one, but really how you act, he's saying Jesus is number two, or three, or four, or five. Parents, you give your children the best chance by showing great conviction for Christ. 
when you're tested, when you're tested, they could see, oh, okay, I see why they did this. This is what the Bible says. They don't remember that. Even Herod understood John the Baptist. He just didn't believe him. Brothers, are your careers are Herodias in your life? Meaning you check your integrity at the door when you walk into the office. Brothers, are you doing whatever it takes to fit in at the work site or your industry? Whatever it takes is we got to keep going. God understands. God gave me these gifts. God gave me this opportunity. Therefore, he understands. No, he doesn't. It's a test to grow your faith. It's an opportunity to have a platform for your coworkers, for your boss, for your wife, for your children to see Christ is more important than work. Christ is more important than uh, advancement. Christ is more important than financial security. Youth. Is Herodias just trying to fit in? Is a type of Herodias is that you're trying to fit in at school? Right? You're afraid to speak out when things such as gender and sex, maybe even abortion comes up. You, you just quiet, not because out of wisdom, but because you're just terrified to death that people will look at you a certain way. Are you afraid to speak about Christ in these settings? Like I said, there's wisdom. I understand that. But fear is a whole different thing. I will never talk about Christ with that group of friends. Well, really? Okay. You just become Herod all of a sudden. Right? You just inherit it. We just identified a Herodias in your life. Remember, just encourage you some young people, the more you show that you believe in something greater than yourself, they may not like you. I understand that feeling. They don't always like you, but you'll gain the respect. This is important. And by the way, these people aren't going to matter in a few years too. Trust me, okay? They matter, but they're not going to matter as much as they do right now to you. It's not worth it, guys, to hold on to your Herodias's. I mean, just ask Herod. He would even know on this side of eternity that it wasn't worth it. He lost his kingdom I mean, if he could tell you from hell, he would tell you that right now. It's not worth it. And the sad irony is this, verse 28, it says, And the, the, the executioner brought his head, John the Baptist said, on a platter, and he gave it to the girl and gave it to his mother. I just, I struggle with this one, and this one pricks my heart, because the greatest born of a woman is treated like this. I mean, you want heroes, and I get it, John the Baptist isn't perfect, but this is someone we look up to. And what happens? How did we know he was looked up to verse 29? And when his disciples heard this, what happened? What did they do? They risked their own lives. They came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. This man had impact because he had conviction. This man had impact because he was willing to pay the price. He was ready to go for it. This emboldened his other disciples. Now, your heart may be radiating right now. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. I'm terrified. I'm a terrified person. I feel convicted. Now, I don't want to leave you there. That's why I'm having these three encouragements. I'm hoping these three encouragements to grow your faith, grow your courage, grow your John Baptist-like spirit in you, okay? 
John the Baptist-like spirit in you. Three encouragements. Number one, study the life of other martyrs. Study the life of other martyrs. Verse 29 says that they, uh, when his disciples heard this, they came. They heard the story of John the Baptist, what happened to their fearless leader. Study the life of other martyrs. Michael Reeves, one of our, our, our presenters in our seminary, he's from England, so he has a different perspective. In England, they've had a history of martyrs. Bloody Mary. John Rogers was the first one to get burned at the stake. And on and on, hundreds and hundreds of men and women will follow that death by Bloody Mary. He says this, he says, America does not have martyrs to scream that doctrine is critical. In other ways, he was saying, you have the disadvantage of not having martyrs in your history. That's interesting. I thought, wow, that's an interesting thing to think about. Therefore, we have to do a little extra work to study the life of the martyrs. We need role models. We need them to disciple us from the grave. They, they, they disciple, they scream to us how Christ, how the truth of Christ is more important than life itself. It's hard when you're the first one, but when you know there's been a line of a legacy of that, you go like, you know, I guess that's how it goes. Starting with John the Baptist, who was the first Christian martyr or, or martyr of Jesus Christ. Study church history. If you want to learn more about contemporary martyrs, Look to resources such as Voice of the Martyrs. See James Shaw, Ed Lum, they, they could tell you more about them, about this group. Because when we study other martyrs, they embolden us. I mean, these, these disciples were courageous. Maybe they're like, oh, our leader did this? Okay, let's go. Let's get his body. Let's give him a proper burial. When other people see you giving up advancement, they go like, oh, okay, I guess it's okay. This is how it goes. Study the life of other martyrs. Number two, know the difference between remorse and repentance. This is a big one. This is all heart stuff, guys. Verse 26. And although the king was very sorry. What is remorse? This is the king. The king was very sorry. I was very sorry I got caught. That's remorse. I'm very sorry about the consequences of getting caught. That's remorse. I'm very sorry I need to get a spanking, right, children? That's remorse. I'm very sorry I brought shame to myself and to my family. That's remorse. And that's natural. We should feel remorse. But that's not repentance. What's repentance? Repentance I'm very sorry I offended God. God. God, I let you down, God. I sinned against you, God, who reconciled me on the cross, God. Repentance is doing an about face from chasing after our Herodias and chasing after Christ and receiving and experiencing the grace and love and affection that Christ has for us. That's repentance. So, gentlemen, sisters too, those crazy thoughts that go through your mind could be a lustful thing, prideful thing, anger, hatred, unforgiveness. That's temptation. James says sin is birthed out of our lust. That's, that's the Satan and, our, and other things are trying to push our buttons. And I don't think that's a sin to kind of have those thoughts come in your mind. I know that's not. But 
the more we keep pushing rewind and play, rewind and play in your mind over anger, hatred, lust, so forth and so on, now you've walked into it. Repent at this level. Repent right here like, oh, Lord, I don't want that. I'm so sorry. That went on too long in my mind. Forgive me, Lord. Or I don't want this. Jesus, you're better than this temptation. I don't want this. Whether you have to say it out loud or in your mind, pray, constantly praying to the Lord. Keep repenting. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Amen? We understand this. We definitely understand. There's no growth when we just feel bad. Evidently, that's how he felt. He felt very sad. No no course correction there. No fighting of temptation. Thirdly and finally here, we're almost finished here, guys. I hope these are helpful encouragements to you. Number three, train your conscience. Train your conscience. Verse 20, Herod was very perplexed. All right, he was very perplexed. His internal guidance system was going off. And how do you train your um, conscience? Our consciences are informed by our convictions. Develop strong convictions through the Bible. This is why we preach the Bible. This is why we teach the Bible. That's why we exhort you to read the Bible. This is why we say meditate on the Bible. Think about the Bible. I can't handle more like television than Bible, honestly, guys. Television wins out in my mind. The, the images are so vivid. It's so loud. The people putting these things together are so good. I mean, those guys win. I have some of that. I'm not going to lie to you. I have some of that, but I can't have more than that than Bible. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe you're different. I need more. I need to eat more Bible than eat on, feed on that stuff. Feed into your conviction. Treasure the, the word of God into your heart. Your word have treasure in my heart that I may not sin against you, right? The psalmist writes. And when the Spirit of God energizes that knowledge of those scriptures in your mind as you're in a certain situation, that's how the Spirit moves. He takes the word and illuminates it. It puts it in neon lights in your head. When he does that, obey immediately. Not later, let me talk about it, let me pray about it. There's nothing to pray about. Some things are so black and white, you just do it. And I personally, I don't. this is maybe going too far with it, but I just want to share it with you how I do it. I try to do it as soon as possible because I know I'm weak and that the more longer I put off, eh, I kind of forget maybe selectively, right? I've been there. I want to do it now if I'm supposed to do something. It's like working out, right? I mean, if we're supposed to go to Planet Fitness at 6.30, we go. It's not, let's think about it. Let's have a debate on this. No, no. Let's pray about it. No, you go. Wake up and go. All right, that's how that works. And all of a sudden, it becomes a routine. You're just doing it. It's just a normal part of your life. And as you form your or train your conscience, be content in the consequences that God has for you. It may not work out super rosy. I mean, it ended up, with John the Baptist dying. Be content in the, in the uh, results. Why the Mark sandwich? Why the Mark sandwich? It's to give us courage, gentlemen, ladies, brothers and sisters, to give us courage and to know that, to set the expectation, expectation, suffering and discipleship are married together. They're inseparable. 
If you want to be a a follower of Christ, suffering is part of the deal. But look, I just want to give you this. I always have a conviction of preaching Christ. I mean, John the Baptist's death foreshadowed the death of Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the pattern here. Herod was like a pilot, right? Herod was a secular believer. Say, man, this could be right, but nah, I'm not going to pilot. Similar. Herodias was like the chief priest coaxing Pilate to do what was ordained. And both had their disciples come and bury their remains. So there would be some dignity to validate that these men were from God and to encourage us in that way. And all of this, why, why is this right in the middle? It's basically, our strength is in Christ, the bottom line. Because this is an impossible story. None of us would want to be John the Baptist in this story. Maybe the preaching part earlier in chapter 1, but not chapter 6, John the Baptist. None of us would sign up for that one. But in Christ, it could be done. Death could not end the movement. This death by John the Baptist will spark a flame that could never be extinguished. And we get to be part of that. In our own little way, we get to be part of that. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word out of Mark chapter 6. What a vivid picture of what you are like, Lord Jesus. Although John the Baptist is just a man like us, yet he was the greatest born of a woman. You give us the best example for us to study. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are caring for us. You're caring for the disciples. Thank you for John the Baptist's life. Thank you that He teaches us to point everything to you, Lord Jesus. And ultimately, your work on the cross will reconcile us to you, Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ dying for sinners on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Father, help us to learn from the martyrs throughout church history and what's going on right now in church history. Help us to learn. Help us have a compassion and appreciation for the martyrs. Although we can't relate at this level, Help us to enter into the world mentally by praying for them, studying their lives. Father, I pray we would know the difference between remorse and repentance. That remorse will lead to repentance, a godly sorrow, as Paul says. And they will repent to you, Lord. And Father, I pray you give us a tender conscience. Give us a tender conscience, Lord, for the things that are pleasing to you, for the things that give you glory and honor. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the greatest treasure of all. You're better than anything else. Help us to believe this with full conviction. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.